And that's, I think, you know, America in 2022, the occasional five minutes of hope. And by the way, now I'm mad because yesterday you and Steve Nash told me the U.S. would win. Yeah, I know. You specifically said so. Because, you know, it's the hope. In the end, Brendan, it's the hope that kills us all. Hope is a horrible, addictive, weird thing. <laughs> People forget the addictive part. Yes. From Apple News and Metal Arc Media, I am the shell of the man who once was Brendan Hunt. <laughs> and I'm Rebecca Lowe, who's going to do everything in the next half an hour to make it probably feel worse. And this is After the Whistle. Reminder, there will be adult language. Brendan, 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 here we are. What? Minutes? I thought it might be seconds, but you disappeared for a few minutes, but we found you. You came I on the pod. I needed some time. To- <laughs> to face up to what just happened. Wow. First of all, first emotion is what? Uh, I don't know. Not Can first you, noise, you, first emotion. <laughs> do you have in uh, England a product called Goober Grape? Do you know what Goober Grape is? No. Goober Grape is a, is a wonderful American confection that I don't know if it's still available, where it is uh, for people who enjoy a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, where you have to open two jars, one of peanut butter and one of jelly. Goober Grape combines the peanut butter and the jelly That's so American in stripes all the way down because you know then you've opened one less jar and right now the peanut butter is anguish and the jelly is pride and I'm feeling both equally <laughs> in the one jar that is me I love it that is perfection right okay so Mr. PB&J swirly PB&J the real question then I want to start with what happened you know, I watched a bit more of the post game than I usually do. Usually I, I come rushing here. We get excited about having, you know, the youngest team left in the knockout rounds. And we forget to give them credit for that. You know, we sort of forget about how much learning on the job they're doing. And so kind of the recurring point between the fellows in the studio there was uh, naivete. We were bounced by our own naivete, you know, just a simple act of forgetting to track runners. There are lessons to be learned. There are lessons to take away. And as much as I was so happy to hear, you know, Christian and Greg talking about this is not about getting ready for 2026. This is about getting results now. It's also really heavily about 2026. <laughs> you know? oh, oh, it is. Because when you see that shot of Politic at the end, so sad, the first thing that came into my mind is... But don't worry, because in four years' time, that really will be your stage, these young players. Yeah. And they don't have big tournament experience, not big international tournament experience, with all due respect to the the Gold Cup. You know, none of these guys have been to the Olympics because we haven't qualified in years. Now we finally qualified for the next one. None of these guys have been to a World Cup, except for DeAndre Yedlin, because we didn't qualify for 2018, and all our players were barely teenagers in 2014. Now they have that under their belts. They know what it's like. And by the way, it'll be at home. So it holds us in good stead for that. But forget the future. Looking to today, a pretty big opportunity was there, even if they were a huge underdog, even if they proved to be outmatched in the long run. And uh, at the moment, it stings. I think that's what's so frustrating, actually, is that we talked about Holland being there for the taking, that Netherlands were going to give you chances, that you would be able to get into the final third. And the thing is, they did. They gave you gift after gift, actually. And the final ball is where I think you guys let yourselves down. Of course, the not tracking the runners. I mean, Tyler Adams on the first goal, so uncharacteristic. We'll get to that. I feel like you were naive, but brave. 
Bear Helter, I want to talk about as well. But it it was actually not a 3-1 game. If you look at the stats, you have plenty of shots on target, eight, I think. You had so much of the ball. It was the final third. Which, you know, not, not in any specific way, but uh, in the macro, you know, brings us back to us not currently having a striker. Hmm. That's what a striker is there to do, is to finish the progress that you have made. Jesus Ferreira was not a name I was excited to see on the team sheet. Well, we'll just play Gio Reyna from the start. I mean, if you're putting on yeah. Gio Reyna at halftime and you think he can get you or assist in you getting two goals, then play him from the beginning. I don't understand that. For me, it's a mystery. I think the Gio Reyna situation has been a topic all World Cup and we will probably find out more after the World Cup. But for me, that's a big miss. He should have played more Reyna and he certainly should have started with Gio Reyna today. Nothing to lose. Knockout competition. Play your best players. And when he came on, he had an effect. But the one thing I want to also talk to you about is the way you try to score goals. This today, Brendan, was the land of the orange giants. I mean, not just the keeper being six foot eight. You've got Virgil, you've got Arcade. They're all massive. And yet all you did was put balls into the box. And what Virgil doesn't like, I mean, he, he likes most things. Let's be fair, he's a brilliant defender. But what he doesn't love is trying to defend against players with the balls into the feet. And you could do that. You have some of the quality to do that in the middle of the park, near and in the box. But you didn't. It just kept being cross after cross. And it just, and the corners, do something different, do something clever. But no, just lump the ball in right near the end. Goalkeeper jumps and catches it. These are huge players. They're going to head it away. They're yeah. going to do that all day long. Yeah, totally agree. I would have loved to see Reina on the right and still see Weah up front. I know you know people have been calling for that all tournament, and you know Greg has refused, and we don't know what happens in training. But what a shit it coulda! If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, every day would be Christmas around here. Do you have that phrase <laughs> in South London? We don't, but we do now. Okay, <laughs> but but we are here to dissect. I mean, that is our job. We are here to yep. reflect, dissect, and analyze. So. Do you want to start at the the first gift of Christmas, which was Pulisic on a plate should have scored early doors? Yeah, that would have been nice. And at the time, I wasn't even thinking of it so much as a missed opportunity. It felt like the first of many opportunities. Mm. And I don't think he had another chance all match, actually. So, yeah, it would have been real nice. Yeah, absolutely. And then what minute did they score? 10th minute against the runner play? Was it as early as the 10th minute? Yeah, I think so. And I, I just want to cut you off before you mm. ask me about the goal, because... Um, because I missed it because I had not one, but two latecomers. Okay, what? Well, hang on a second. Two latecomers in the 45 seconds before the goal. Okay, your first error was to invite anybody. To <gasps> okay. Your second error was if you are going to invite them, not send the graphic of the rules, right? So just <laughs> talk me through that. You've let yourself down. You've let football uh. down and you've let yourself down in this situation, Brendan. Who were they? Name and shame. I'm neither naming nor shaming. <laughs> I, I put my trust in my teammates and I don't show them up in a public forum. Um, <laughs> so what happened to you? You were going to answer the front door and then the goal went in? No, it was like from a distance. I was like, oh, hey, how oh, you no. doing? Oh, what's going on? Okay, door closes. All right, we're fine. Uh, now I'm like, okay, what's happening? Door opens again. Oh, hey. <laughs> <sighs> God fucking damn it. <sighs> oh, gosh. Okay, so you didn't realize probably for quite some time that the great Tyler Adams, who has not let your side down either on or off the pitch or World Cup and who has been a leader of men, who has stepped up, who has had a breakout tournament, had the most uncharacteristic of moments where he was jogging back towards the goal and Memphis Depay was in front of him. I mean, it's a lovely finish from Depay. It was actually a harder finish than Pulisic had a few minutes before. Pulisic had an easier 
opportunity. Depay finished nicely, but he should never have been able to. Unchallenged. Tyler Adams, we love you, but Tyler Adams. That falls under lessons. You know, even our the guy who has been our best player yeah. has something where he can, in 2026, say like, okay, all right. I let my guard down for a second. Yeah. And when they let your guard down for a second in the World Cup, you're punished. Absolutely. And, and you know, we're not singling him out here because they're all going to get criticism and they're all going to get praise, right? So it's just football. I'm afraid that's just part of the job. Um, 2-0, just before half time. That was a dagger. The first one was a killer. The second one was a sucker punch, wasn't it? Yeah. Especially coming right before the half. <sighs> Worst time. Oy. And um, and it was like, you know, it was it was like a go-to FIFA move. Just dribble down to the baseline, as we call it in America, and then cut that thing back. Ugh. Turner had no chance on either goal either. No, no. He actually played well. He had a couple of good he saves. He had a great but, game, yeah. Yeah. But I think they must have been watching. This is all part of the backroom staff's job leading into a knockout game in the World Cup is to be watching every game USA played in the last 10, 20 and see where they're weak. Well, they all were on the six-yard line. And so the cutbacks were on all the time. I mean, Dest, yeah. again, he's done pretty well this tournament. Had his hands on his hips. You know, and and Blind was in front of him. He had his hand, watch it again. He had his hands on his hips. That is never the figure you want to cut in the box <laughs> when the ball is about to be cut back. You know, just those little momentary lapses in concentration let you down. But again, not singling him out, a team goal. And I think a lot of this comes back to Berhalter, which we'll get to once we've gone through the game. So at 2-0, at halftime, when you had guests who were late, you were 2-0 down. You hadn't <laughs> even seen the first goal. Probably a good thing. Tell me about your mood, Brendan, at halftime. What did you do to fill the 15 minutes? Did you do a playlist? One of your famous playlists? Oh, well, you're not really in the mood. Uh, I did do a playlist, but um, it was colored by my mood. I was going to start the playlist with uh, Believe by Cher. Because, you know, we're down one nothing, but like, it's going to be fine. And then the second goal was scored. Oh. And instead, I started with This is America by Childish Gambino, which is uh, a darker song in mood. Still finished it with Cher. Still okay. finished it with Good. Cher. Good. At that point, though, I'm thinking about, you know, the Dutch here and something we've talked about. The Dutch and why I think they are a threat. I don't think they're going to beat Argentina, actually. But in, in, in the macro, mm. I think they this is a very good Dutch team because of how patient they were. I mean, they only had the two shots on goal in the half mm. and then scored scored on both. You know, the Dutch teams of old to be wanting to show off after that first goal and like try to win for nothing in 40 minutes. This Dutch team doesn't even have a tinge of that as far as you can tell. Just absolute patience and control. And it's a dangerous team. It's a dangerous team. And we were we were not up to it. Anyway, that's the first half. <laughs> oh, also at halftime, I had not yet um, had any beer. Um, and right. Well, I mean, it was 7.45 in the morning, but sure. Sure, okay. sure, 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 sure. But now it was like 7.57. So I figured oh, that, that's probably what positively I... Positively late. That's probably what I can be doing to support my team. Um, and then suddenly, Gio Reyna was on the pitch. So you're welcome, Hallelujah. America. I did my part. <laughs> At that point, you're just screaming, like, let's just get one. Just get one. Let's just get one. Let's just get one. But it, it, it also felt like Little Brother vibes a little bit at that point. Like, they had a stat on at some point. I can't remember what it was. But, you know, the U.S. having a ridiculous amount of possession. Like, almost Spain-level possession. Yeah. As if Spain was playing, I don't know, Bosnia. But again, it was just their patience and control. And be like, oh, you want the ball? Yeah. No, go on. Go on, you get the ball. You get the ball. You got to play with the little ball. Oh, now I have the ball and I've scored. Ah, oh, try again. You're doing great. 
<laughs> but Brendan, you would feel that way if you're Virgil van Dyke and crosses keep coming in the box and that's the only way you're being attacked and you're like, bang, bang, and you're heading everything away or your keeper comes up who's nine foot tall, you're going to be like casual as, chilled out. We're not going to be breached. I mean, also not particularly dangerous crosses either. You know, uh, yeah. again, like I, I don't, I don't think corners are, are where you want Pulisic. So that's that's the thing that has to be worked on. But Gio Reyna made a difference, didn't he? Gio Reyna did make a difference, yeah. yeah. But... I mean, Reyna's link-up play is so good, isn't it? I mean, he's oh so, God. he's good. He's really good. And his close control is unbelievable. Oh. You know, like he, he can have four guys on, on him and get into the yeah. box anyway. Yeah. Ay, 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 okay, ay. so just after the break, Tim Ream, and it was cleared off the line, I thought he deserves that goal, by the way. Tim Ream would have deserved a goal oh, at this World Cup. Yeah. But I thought if you got that, if that had gone over with all that time left to play, with Rayner on the field and subs yet to come on, that would have given you, I think, the foothold that may have changed the game. It could have been something. It's a real shame that our two most interesting chances unconverted in the second half went to our top knotted defenders. <laughs> but at least Tim Ream didn't try a bicycle kick. That um, that saved us. Some shame. So then, yeah, we're trucking along. The occasional chance. Big save from Turner in yeah. the 61st. At this point, I'm thinking to bring in Acosta because the set pieces are are poor. And then Haji Wright comes on. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Haji Wright. I don't know about that. But then Haji Wright scores, and I realize he's our greatest ever striker. <laughs> yeah, with that. The greatest striker in American history. <laughs> Where's he been? He was the missing piece. Oh, you mean with that very conscious back heel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he visualizes it and then he executes it. Uh, just Bless him. gifted Bless player. Him. Gifted player. I mean, that was thrilling because like you'll take him how you get him. You do. And actually, it doesn't matter, does it? Because for that section of time between 2-1 when you pulled one back and 3-1 when they scored, that section of time was the great hope of America today. Yeah. That little section. And we thought this could be on. Let's try and get one more and play for extra time. And that's, I think, you know, America in 2022, the occasional five minutes of hope. Yeah. That's our national theme right now in general. And I'm not just referring to soccer. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. But when then Dumfries scored, you know, and Dumfries, yeah. of course, was a menace all game. He is such a good player. You kind of knew it was over then. And by the way, now I'm mad because yesterday you and Steve Nash told me the U.S. would win. Yeah, I know. You specifically said so. Yeah. And sure, I said so, but I'm a fan. I mean, I was <laughs> speaking with my heart. You know, I'm not a journalist, know, Rebecca. What's your excuse? Well, I know because, you know, it's the hope. In the end, Brendan, it's the hope that kills us all. Hope is a horrible, addictive, weird thing. <laughs> People forget the addictive part. Yes. Right. It is addictive because you like, well, I'm never going to hope again. I'm never going to be positive again. And then it just creeps back into your sinews, doesn't it? And you start getting hopeful. I mean, I bet you're deep down already a little bit hopeful for 2026. I bet you're already oh, you starting me? to feel right. There you go. But can I just go back is, to the... That is preloaded. <laughs> can I just go back to the 3-1? So he scores 3-1. I hadn't eaten yet, right? Because I had to get up, obviously, relatively early, get concentrating on the game. At 3-1, I went to put the toast in. I'm not going to lie. At 3-1, on whatever it was, <laughs> 10 minutes ago, I had to go and put the toast in. I was starving. It was over. That 10 minutes, 5 minutes, whatever it was of hope, after had you right subconsciously scored, there wasn't any coming back from that. It was time for toast. Okay, now you've opened... A real side door here, because this is something I discovered only this last season in my third tour of duty on Ted Lasso in London. Rebecca, describe how you make your toast. 
Okay. Um, what happens between the toast coming out of the toaster and you eating your toast? Well, you, you, you get your bread and you put it in the toaster and then you go and decide, what am I going to have on my toast? Well, we decided as a couple, my husband and I, on the same, very much on the same toast page and mm-hmm, we wanted mm-hmm. jam, right? So we go to the fridge, get the jam out the fridge, get the butter, mm-hmm. and then we ladle the butter on like, you know, you're running out and then chuck a load of jam on once it's out and it's super, super hot. I don't understand. What's the controversy? Okay, that's good to hear. You've assimilated because I discovered in London that apparently this backwards nation from which you hail likes toast to be not particularly warm and the butter to be cold on it. Oh, yes. And this is how they serve it in fancy hotels. Right. That is so interesting. So Granny Esme, uh, God rest her soul, bless her heart, my granny, my mom's mom. She actually sort of taught me that. So toast, you then, once the toast comes out, you put it in a toast rack, okay? And the toast rack is metal, but it's supposed to keep it hot because it's metal, which apparently is a conductor, I don't know, of heat. Oh no, ain't no keeping it. It actually takes the heat away from the toast, keeping it away from the toast. Now the toast then very much hardens up and I would maybe refer to it almost as a crisp bread at this stage. And so then you get the hard cold butter that almost has the fridge condensation actually on the pat of butter in the white saucer. And then you spread it very difficulty. I mean, high level of difficulty. Yeah. Occasionally you might make a hole in the toast while spreading with the butter. Every time. But can I tell you, don't judge until you're tried because hard, cold, crispy toast, cold, unspreadable butter, lop on a chunk of coarse cut marmalade, it might be the greatest thing you've ever had. Granny Esme, we thank you for the toast protocol that you passed down. God, this is the first time I've ever felt like hatred for you. This is just the worst Yeah, but I've thing. cheered you up, right? We're not talking- How could you defend this? You started this being on our side, and then you ended it in this, this <laughs> horrible, horrible position of defending cold butter and cold bread. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. My day was bad enough before this conversation. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to give you a toast distraction. Okay, let's get back to it. <laughs> anyway, right, so here I right. am, finishing the game out, eating toast. <sighs> cold toast and with cold butter and it was delish much more delish than the end of the game for you yeah yeah real bummer can we get on to if you don't mind because yesterday you did have a very rousing monologue on greg berhalter Mm -hmm. may i pose a slight devil's advocate to your supreme support of of the u.s men's national team manager hey i i in no way wished to say that he is above Mm-hmm. Uh, criticism. No coach is. Sure. I know. I just want to, you know, wanted to mark a borderline against the Burhalter out crowd who can eat corn. Go ahead. Okay, I want to get this straight. So you think he should be the manager moving forward? That's a separate conversation. Well, can we have it? Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Answer. I think he's earned the right to be the manager going forward. That doesn't mean all the way to 2026, but certainly till. 2024, when I assume we'll be in the Copa America, because, you know, we don't have any qualification to do. So let's see what happens there. But I don't know that he will want to be. And the reason why is because I think he's had a successful World Cup. And coming back for another World Cup after you've just had a successful World Cup is a pretty tricky ask. You know, Bruce Arena. I keep calling him Arena. Bruce Arena. Amazing. Arena. The, the most recent American example. Uh, you know why? Because you're mixing, you're thinking of Gio Arena is on the brain. So you're, you're, th- you're so... I'm thi- thinking of the Amsterdam Arena, which is now the Johan oh. Krauf Arena. <laughs> Arena, um, Gio Arena, Bruce Arena. It's amazing. <laughs> What's on your brain today? Carry on. But Bruce Arena, you know, had the greatest World Cup of any American manager of all time. I mean, including 1930 in that, because 1930 was, you know, kind of like a bunch of friendlies, really. 
And then it's like, we're coming back for 2006 and absolutely shat the bed. So I don't know that consecutive World Cups is is smart. And like Gareth Southgate, he, he made it to the semis last time. Do, do we think he's going to reach that again? Well, we don't know. We don't know. <sighs> but Brendan, that could just be Bruce Arena, Arena, Gio Arena. What about That's... Roberto, Roberto Martinez? Third place last time. Didn't get out of the group stage this time. You're, you may be right. Your evidence is stacking. So I'm kind of playing both sides of the argument because I, I sort of feel like I'm okay with him going to 2026 if he was the right guy. Here's my worry for you on Greg Berhalter. And I think I said it to you actually at some point earlier in this pod series. Because you don't, and it's not your fault geographically, other than friendlies, because you don't get to play against the teams that tend to be too much higher in the FIFA rankings than yourself. Playing against the Netherlands today, Greg Berhalter just doesn't have the experience of being exposed to systems, patterns of play, tactics from the sort of world-class elite level. Because he just doesn't get exposed to that. He, he played in Germany and he played in Holland. And of course, he had a cup of coffee at, at Crystal Palace when they were in, you know, League One or whatever. So, but, but, yeah, but it's a different, but yeah, and I get that. I mean, obviously being exposed to anything, Crystal Palace is elite level. But as a player, <laughs> I don't think as a player, you're always thinking about yourself as a manager. I do think there can be two separate things. I think when you're in your playing career, you aren't always looking at games, looking at systems, looking at tactics in quite the same way as you would if you were a manager. My point is this. I'm interested that you say he may not want to continue in the job because in my opinion, this is a really good world football job. The crop of young players that we talked about at the beginning of this pod, the youth, the talent that you have, the facilities this country provides, the backing from US soccer, it's a great job. And I just wonder whether if he doesn't want it or if US soccer decide against him, and I know you probably want an American in the role, I don't know how many Americans are qualified and have been exposed to enough of that top level opposition, from my opinion, to then come in and do a really good job with this group of players. Jesse Marsh would be very interesting, in my opinion, but I think it might be too early for him. I don't think he wants it. But I just wonder whether there's a manager out there who has been at the top of world football, who would look at this and think, home World Cup, bunch of young, hungry, really talented players this is a really good job. I think US soccer could attract a big name for the World Cup in 2026 and a name who maybe could do and make a few more wise decisions maybe than Greg Berhalter has made. Because the naivety that we saw today is a reflection of the manager. Every team reflects its manager. They were brave in some ways and Greg Berhalter was brave in some ways. But for example, you know, you needed to have a sitting midfielder constantly, okay, constantly to stop those counterattacks that were coming through and to stop the cutbacks, by the way. And they, the midfielder were all over the place. I mean, they were just all like here, there and everywhere. That kind of naivety comes from the manager. But then the bravery also comes from the manager, the way that you were attacking games all throughout this World Cup. And I just feel the therefore you well. have... Absolutely. But, yeah, but I mean, there are they, other they managers... Were, they were all on the same page. So yeah. I just think it's such a golden time. Not going to say golden generation because we know how that works out, England, Belgium, but a golden time in this development and evolution of your team. And I feel like it warrants a more experienced, bigger name. Is that fair? I think it's I think it's fair. I, I 100% think it's a very attractive job. And I don't think, Greg, as much as I'm a fan of him and what he's done so far, I, I can't pretend I think he's the greatest coach you know, of, of all time. Do I think he's earned the right to continue at least for two more years? Yes. But I don't know that he wants to. And yeah, we'll see. Now, in terms of Jesse Marsh, 
I know Jesse has has won the hearts of Leeds fans, you know, even more than he already had by coming out and saying that that's the only job he wants and he's not thinking about the U.S. at all. But uh, um, he <laughs> thinks that Jesse doth protest too much. Um, <laughs> Correct. So we'll, we'll see there. Um, but when you're in club football and you're young like Jesse is and he's in the Premier League, I feel like, I mean, obviously he may not be in the Premier League for much longer, but I, I just wonder yeah, whether... but you just spoke about what the opportunity is here. Like the yeah, opportunity true. plus it's his home country... If he was offered it, I'd be surprised if he turned it down. I, and I think it would be magic. I gotta say, the histrionics on the side, the animation, the way he plays football, for me, fits this USA team. I would love to see it. And then if we could just find you a striker. Is there a striker somewhere? Has anyone seen a striker? Yes. If we His could... name is Ricardo Pepe. <laughs> then the future is without a doubt bright. And I know it's a depressing day. I was saying to my husband at the end of the game on like 95 minutes, and I, you know, I felt deflated and I'm not a USA fan, but I just thought football is just so painful, isn't it? It's just, why do we do, it's just painful. It is, it is. And yet, that's that horrible addiction of hope, but I'm left feeling very proud of this team. They have restored our, whatever it is we were before. You know, the scourge of 2018 is now gone. There's much to be proud of. And the foundation is there for 2026. Well done, the guys. And these are the guys. And I'm. this is not a hashtag. This is not trying to push anything. But like, if you're wondering what that team's going to be in 2026, it's a good thing you're on board now because you're already in love with these guys. And these are the guys who are going to be back. These are guys who are 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And at least half this team will be around in 2026. And that love you're already feeling for them will have had four more years to ferment in your hearts and we'll be drunk on it in 2026. And I cannot wait. So much thanks to this team. Thanks, Bear Halter. Thanks, guys. Brenton, I hate football. I hate it and I love it. Rebecca, we've got England-Senegal tomorrow. Where are you at? How are you feeling? Try not to speak with your heart too much, because that's what I did. And look at me now. Mm. England, Senegal. I know. I know. Well, I am am just a barrel of nerves. I'm not going to lie. I think Senegal have so much motivation. I think Gareth Southgate is going to do Gareth Southgate things. I don't think he's going to play the team I want him to play. I'm hoping upon hope he starts Foden. That's my biggest hope. And I really hope that Harry Kane discovers the scoring boots. He's been good with his assists and, you know, that's what he does. He's an underrated footballer outside of the box, without a doubt. But if you look to the game tomorrow, he's got to be on his game, I think. I'm not sure we can reach a quarterfinals of a World Cup without him getting on the score sheet. I hope I'm wrong because I don't see any goals at the moment coming from Harry Kane. That's my fear. I'm very, very nervous. I think you have a completely different perspective when it's your own team. So I could be very calm about your lot saying, oh, I think you're going to be Netherlands, even though I was wrong. I was pretty confident in my assertion. And actually, Netherlands, I think, were there for the taking. But anyway, with this, I'm not confident at all. But I'm very rarely confident about England. I can see us going home and it will be... I'm very nervous about my rage <laughs> if that happens. I'm not sure I do want to... You took 10 minutes to get on this pod after the final whistle. It might be 10 hours before you find me somewhere like rolling down a hill and just devastation. One thing I didn't realize until, you know, looking at the schedule after the game, it's a long time before the next game. Like if England can win this match and then and then maybe Harry's a little bit more fit, they don't play again until Saturday. That's a, a lot of time to get fit. That's the longest time between matches this entire tournament. 
So yeah. if they can get through today, that bodes very well for, for health situations. Yeah, true. I mean, it could go to extra time penalties, which of course will then add to the minutes in their legs, which will then need the recovery. I think it's an interesting team selection where Marcus Rashford is concerned, because how do you drop a player who scored two goals against Wales and was on a hat trick before he got taken off? How do you not start him? I don't think you will start him. I actually don't think you will, because I think Wales and Senegal are two very different propositions. So I think I'll go with Foden. I think I'll go with Mount. And he'll obviously go with Kane up front and then he'll go with Sterling. So I think he'll go Foden, Sterling and Mount behind Kane. And obviously we know the rest of the team. Um, it'll be the same. Walker, I think he'll stay with Walker. I don't think he'll play Trippier. Maguire, who is apparently, is he's the only England player who's featuring in everybody's best team in the group stages, which is fair. Him alongside Stones and then Luke Shaw with Bellingham and Rice, as long as Bellingham can get forward. That's not a, not a terrible team. I, I think Mason Mount is a wonderful professional. I haven't seen what he's done yet in an England shirt this World Cup that warrants him to start ahead of a player like Saka, who I think could cause carnage, or even Grealish. But anyway, that's for tomorrow. I will sleep, but not very well. I think as much as I appreciate and respect, you know, Foden and Sterling, uh, Foden and Sterling over Saka is folly. And uh, how objective am I? I'm an Arsenal fan. I get it. But Saka has been fantastic. I would hope to see him in the lineup. That's my only request, Mr. Southgate. I did read somewhere that... Saka and Rashford have volunteered to take penalties should it get to penalties, which, oh God, gives me like such a big feeling in my stomach because bless them, bless them for volunteering. And that is what yeah. we need. I remember in, um, was it Euro 96, I think, when Gareth Southgate stepped up and Paul Ince mm -hmm. was sat on the ground. Where was Paul Ince? Paul Ince should have been taking a penalty, not Gareth Southgate. He was not a penalty taker. I love you if you step up. I don't like you much. If you don't volunteer when you should, Raheem Sterling, you're a 2020 final. Saka and Rashford, if you're stepping up, both of whom missed in that final for England against Italy a year and a half ago, if it goes to penalties and if they step up, I won't be able to watch. But then in a funny way, for me, they, they can do no wrong from there on in because they stepped up yeah. and that's all that matters. Saka has taken um, almost every penalty he can he for Arsenal uh, yeah. since that final yeah. and he has not missed one. Yeah, so, I know. Much oh, respect to him. I don't know if that bodes well. <laughs> Law of averages. Um, okay, that's tomorrow. Bring it on. Come on, England. <laughs> God, oh uh, will you wear the shirt during yeah, the match? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wear it at night. I'm wearing it in bed tonight and then all day tomorrow. Smelly as, sweaty as, don't care. Come on, England. Cold toast. Cold toast. <laughs> Cold toast on the rack. <laughs> Hard butter, still freezing. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's genius. That is genius. Uh, bits and bobs, such as they are. My final two cents on Holland. Again, I don't think they're going to beat Argentina, but there's a revenge factor there because Argentina knocked them out in 2014 in the semis in a drab nil-nil extra time penalty kick shootout. Gakpo did not score today, so... Uh, no Jairzinho for him. I think that means no one has a Jairzinho option left, meaning uh, scoring in every match all the way to winning the tournament. But dangerously for Argentina, Memphis Depay is now warming up. He's starting, he's scoring, and that makes Holland even tougher out. By the way, we might have to just put a caveat in because we're recording this before Argentina take on Australia. And Australia, if, if people listen to this and Australia have won, just so you know, we don't know that yet. We, we got so excited about USA, we had to come and run on the pod. 
If Australia does win, I will do the entire podcast tomorrow in a dodgy Australian accent, and uh, I will play Wolf Mother. Um, I'll, I'll play Living It and John. I will play um, uh, not even the Bee Gees. I'll play Andy Gibb just to show oh. my my great regret for being so presumptuous. And you'll be drinking Carling Forex. And then if England lose, I'll be already annoyed. And then you'll annoy me even more by doing an Australian accent the whole way through. <laughs> um, oh, okay, it, it is not good. <laughs> All right. Those are your final thoughts. We cannot finish this pod at the World Cup, Brendan, talking about the greatest sport in the world, talking about the beautiful game. We have to send prayers out to the greatest player that many think has ever lived. And that is the great Pele, because unfortunately, according to reports in Brazilian media, he has been moved to end-of-life palliative care because he has stopped responding to chemotherapy. He has won, Brendan, three World Cups. No other player in history has won three World Cups. He is one of those humans that sits at the top of the top of the greatest, alongside the likes, the sporting icons of Muhammad Ali, those kind of names we're talking about here. Pele, during the World Cup into end-of-life care, if Brazil needed any more motivation, it is, can they do it for the great, great Pele, the king? Amen. Hopefully for them, it doesn't end up being you know, yet more weight on the shirt, but uh, it does make you root for Brazil just that little bit more. Mm. Uh, much love to Pele. For sure. Right, I'm going to go and try and keep my mind off England against Senegal for the next 24 hours. What are you going to do to sort of drown out the sorrows, my friend? I guess I'm going to watch this plucky Australian side do their best against okay. the Albi Celeste. And we'll see what happens. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot. Shout out to my son, who's 22 months old and has been sick this week, but stayed asleep for the entire match. God bless him. That's That's my boy right there. <laughs> He knows. He read the list. He read the rules. Unlike your so-called friends. Unbelievable. Still can't believe you let them in the door. Unbelievable. 2026, baby! <laughs> now, if you are loving the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you can, rate and review us because it really helps other people find the show who also want to listen to Brendan being so sad. <laughs> And for around the clock World Cup news, because here's the thing, people, even when your team goes out, the World Cup is quite worth following. Plus scores and standings. Follow along on the Apple News app in my sports. We're available. And I can laugh all I want, but we're going to be back with more World Cup coverage tomorrow right here in your podcast feed after England oh, and Senegal. A battle of lions. Three lions versus lions of Taranga. Lions! <laughs> <laughs>